Again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. My name is Pastor Micah, and if you're a guest with us, man, we really want to make sure that you're taken care of and that uh, we're treated well while you're here. So if you need anything at all, please let us know. We'd love to help you with that. Um, but today we're going to jump into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you don't have one with you, there's a hardback black one there on the floor somewhere around you. Underneath the chairs, you can borrow one of those. Um, and today we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 for the majority of the time. Uh, we're also going to jump over to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. So if you want to put a finger in that um, for Colossians 2 later, you can do that. But 1 Timothy 6 is where we're starting. So we've been in this new series this year um, called God's Money. And it's been a financial series. This is the last sermon in the series, kind of wrapping it up today. But the whole purpose has been for us to get a better view of finances and money. And not just a better perspective, but God's perspective on money. And how does he look at it? And how does he want us to handle it? And what's, what's his desire? Uh, we're going for that vertical perspective when it comes to our finances. And one of the things that we've been uh, talking about every single week is the reason we need this perspective it's because it's not really our money. It's God's money. It all belongs to him. He's the owner, and we're the stewards. And we get to use it, and he wants us to use it, and he wants us to use it well. Um, but even as stewards, God also wants us to enjoy it. We've talked a lot about how to manage it and how to multiply it and all these other things, but one of the things God does want is he loves us. He loves his children, and he wants us to enjoy um, his money. Um, just not too much, okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to try to see if we can thread that needle today about what's it look like to enjoy God's money in a way that honors him and uh, does it well. And so, because um, oftentimes what happens is if we get into enjoying money too much, it oftentimes leads to a major problem that is crippling um, our culture, our nation, our world, and that is the issue of debt, and, um, and so that's a hard thing to get a hold of sometimes and to get under control. And so I found this little thing this week, um, this, this new program to deal with debt um, that I thought was super helpful. So I just want to maybe show it to you guys real quick. Check this out here on this video. I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no, 
You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. The advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. So get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. It seems simple, doesn't it? But oftentimes it's not. Because oftentimes our desire for enjoyment gets the better of us. And we get ahead of ourselves or ahead of what we have. And we end up in this issue of debt. And um, enjoying what God gives us doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be sinful. It doesn't have to separate us from him. There is a way to do it in a, a, a manner that honors the Lord. And so today we're going to look at that. We're going to see if we can nail that down for us and just be really practical in that today. So here's what we're going to look at. I can enjoy God's money as a means of enjoying God rather than missing God. There is a way that I can enjoy God's money in a way that actually helps me enjoy God more himself rather than becoming this issue that gets between us when my heart starts running after other things other than the Lord. So with all that in mind, let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, as for the rich in this present age, let's just pause there for a second. All right, I know what that just said. As for the rich, all right? So don't check out on me. So I know some of y'all thinking like, I, that ain't me. I'm not in that category, Micah. Actually, biblically speaking, you are. You see, we tend to, we tend to uh, um, label people rich and poor based on comparing ourselves to other people we see on TV or in movies or magazines or whatever, and like, I'm not rich, they're rich, right? Um, but if we step back and we take a bigger view, maybe God's view, and look at it from a, a global perspective, not just a little American pigeonhole perspective, but on the world scale, we're all actually pretty rich. I did a little research this week. If you make $33,000 a year or more in the United States, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. 33,000 a year, top 1% of wealth in the entire world. If you are living at the poverty line in the United States or below, you are still in the top 14% of wealth in the world just because you live in a country that has safety nets that catch you to at least some degree. There are more than a billion people in the world right now who live on less than $1 a day. Okay? So, that's just perspective. All right? That's not even part of the message, really. That's just perspective that when Paul says, as for those who are rich in this present age, yes, they're talking to us. Okay? This verse is for me, it's for you. So here's what he says to us. Charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So let's just kind of break that apart into pieces. And here's the first main point today. Don't enjoy God's money too much. Okay? Don't enjoy God's money too much. And that's what Paul's addressing here. He says, if 
Those who are rich, he says, charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to feel superior to others because of what they have, to puff themselves up as if it's something um, that makes them special. In James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything you have, everything I have, is a gift from God. It's not because of how smart you are, or how hard you work, or how good looking you are, or how intelligent you are, or all of that, whatever hand you got dealt, you got dealt it by the Lord, right? Even what you have to make money, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your intelligence, all that is a gift from the Lord, so it's all ultimately from him. It's not about you. There's no reason for us to feel proud or haughty about it. He says, tell them not to be haughty and not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. In other words, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Not trusting in the provision, but rather trusting in the provider. Don't put your hopes in the money, in the stuff, because it's not going to last. And unfortunately, again, that's an easy thing to do. Start getting a little savings, start getting some retirement built up, start you know, get the new car, the house, and we start putting our hopes in. I've got, I'm, I'm feeling pretty comfortable now. I've got my stuff. I'm, I'm surrounding myself. I feel pretty safe in this. And that's been an age-old problem. That's just not us today, right? All the way back with God's first people, Deuteronomy chapter 8, he tells them this, verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses, and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Sometimes wealth can puff us up and make us forget who we really are and who he really is. So Paul's warning us against that. And actually, earlier in this chapter, he has some other words to say about this topic. Actually, scroll up just a little bit there on chapter 6. Go to verse 6 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take any, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So what Paul's addressing here is not that it's wrong to be rich. He's not warning us against having things. He's warning us against desiring to be rich. Did you catch that? He says, tell those who desire it, who are running after it, who are pursuing it as the most important thing in their life. I've got to have more of that. He says, be careful, because that leads to temptation and snares and harmful desires and ruin and destruction. And he caps it off with this very familiar statement that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's about the heart. 
So this is, I just kind of put together like a little math equation for you this morning. It's like a good thing for you to just kind of have. Like all the math people just like, ooh, okay, we never get math in church. All right, here we go. So here's what you need to have in your heart and in your head, okay? When the love of money is greater than, all right, that's when the alligator's that direction for all you non-math people, okay? The love of money is greater than the love of God. That equals materialism. Or, as we're calling it today, enjoying God's money too much. How do I know, Micah? How do I know if it's too much? How do I know if I'm stepping into that? Well, look at the equation. Is my love of money greater than my love of God? Well, I don't think so. Okay. Maybe you don't think so. How about you take some look at your life? What's the checkbook say? What's the credit card say? What does your budget say? Where is their priority? Where, is your, where are you putting your emphasis in your life? So back in verse 17 again, Paul says, don't be haughty, don't put your hope in riches, but put your hope on God. Hope in the giver, not the gift. Right? Hope in the one who gives what you need. Hope in riches is sin. And it leads to death. But hope in the God of the riches is faith, which leads to life because of the eternal sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 6.23 says, right? But the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's amazing to me how the gospel bears down on every single aspect of our lives, right? Some people have this impression that the gospel is just something that we have to get saved, and then after we're saved, then it's all about other stuff in the Bible. But actually, it's still all about the gospel. It's all about us learning to live in submission to the king who gave his life for us. We were broken We were sinners. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't earn our way back to God. We were separated from him by our sin. And so he sent his son to come and to live a perfect life, sinless, and to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To be a substitute. To stand in my place and to pay the price for my sins so that I could be set free. For your sins so that you could be set free. That's his hope. That's his desire. He wants you to believe. He rose from death, not just to have a good magic trick, right? He's like, look, I'm here. I'm alive. This is, this is me. You can trust. You can believe. You can have faith. And if you'll turn from sin, whether it be the love of money or any other sin in your life, and if you'll embrace Jesus Christ, he will save you to the uttermost, and you will have eternal life with God forever. The gospel touches every single part of our life. And enjoy, enjoy, enjoying money too much isn't just folly. It's fatal. Because it leads to death. Spiritual death, if nothing else. I remember I was back in uh, college, uh, I think it was my second year of college, and I I'd figured out this pretty good system, um, you know, for myself to make some money. And so um, my second year, I was an RA, 
there at the dorm, and so I had free room and board because I served as an RA, and so I would set my classes up where I would have all my classes on like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, and I would use the other two or three days of the week to go substitute teach at the local schools, pulling in like 80 bucks a day, right? So it's pretty good for, and then I would work Y care after school for a couple hours on the other days, make a couple more bucks, didn't have to work nights, didn't have to work weekends, and for a college kid, I was kind of rolling in the dough, right? So I had all this money coming in, and I felt like I was doing pretty good, and so, you know, what am I going to do with all this influx of cash? Am I going to go and help my parents pay, you know, for college bills and books and stuff? No, um, of course not. Uh, am I going to, you know, save up for those future purchases? I'm going to have to make like a ring or a house or a truck or no, not going to do that either. Uh, am I going to invest in some opportunity to multiply? No, 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 no. I'm going to do the only logical thing there is to do to a college sophomore male uh, living in the dorm, go and buy a big old TV to put in my dorm room so we can watch movies and play video games and the whole thing, right? And so, so I go to the store, and I pick it out, and it's great, and I, I, I didn't actually wait and save some money up. I was just like, oh, I've got money coming in. I'll pay for it. So I buy it on credit, like six months, same as cash or whatever. So I get the TV so little planning that I get the TV out to my car and it won't even fit into my little uh, Dodge Neon that I had at the time. Some of y'all are like, well, I haven't seen that car in a long time, right? So, so it wouldn't even fit in the car. And so at this point, I, I have to call my dad, say, hey, dad, can you bring the truck over and help me move a TV? And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah. So I told him things. So he comes, he shows up. My dad's super uh, wise and gracious. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't lecture me. He doesn't like try to like, you know, guilt me or say anything. He just helps me load the TV up. We take it to the door room, we get it in the place and the whole thing. And so he goes back to the house and a um, month or so later, some things changed in my financial situation. Uh, I didn't quite have what I, coming in, what I thought I was going to have and bills changed and all of a sudden I couldn't pay for everything. And so I go to my dad, I'm like, dad, what am I going to do? I'm like, I can't pay for all this stuff. And, and so he's like, okay, Again, very gracious, let's sit down. And he walked me through how to make a budget, how to get ahead of things, how to pay off. And we made a plan to get it paid off so I wouldn't default on anything. And in that moment, I learned a very, very important lesson. That was my first like, major thing where I was like, oh, I can't pay for this. And I learned an important thing about debt that day. That debt's really not a good idea, especially if it's not an appreciating asset. Right? It just gets you in sticky situations. And so here's, here's what I've learned about debt most of the time. Debt results from wanting to enjoy more than what God has provided for me. Most of the time, debt comes when I want to go after and I want to pursue and I have a, a lack of contentment in my life with what God has given me and I'm living with entitlement in my heart that I need this and I deserve this and I want this. And I'm going to go get it. Now, granted, sometimes there are extenuating circumstances, right? Catastrophes happen, you know, somebody steals something from you that you still have to pay money on, or, uh, you know, somebody passes away and there's, you have to deal with stuff. Like, sometimes there's extenuating circumstances. But let's just be honest. Most of the time, when we get ourselves into debt, it's not because of one of those things. Because we're going after something that the Lord has not yet provided. We're wanting more than what God says is good for us to enjoy. Probably because he knows if he gave us that, 
that we would start to enjoy it more than we enjoy him. He's actually trying to protect us, but we just keep running after it anyways. So how do I know? How do I know if I'm enjoying God's money too much? How do I know if I've crossed that line, Micah? Here's the question I think you need to ask yourself. What links am I willing to go to acquire beyond what God has provided? What links am I willing to go to to acquire more than what God has given me and provided for me in this time, in this place, in this stage of my life? And if that means leading into debt beyond your appreciating assets, you probably need to examine that. Okay? So God doesn't want us to enjoy his money too much, but on the flip side of that, also, point number two today, God doesn't want us to enjoy his money too little. Okay? There is a thing is going too far the other direction and not seeking enjoyment at all. Go back to verse 17 again in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to what? Enjoy. And what's interesting to me, it says that God richly provides for us. Right? Like he's just not like giving us what we need just to simply get by. Like he wants to richly provide for us. He wants to lavish love on his children, right? Because he's a good father. And just like you parents, you love to bless your children. You love to, to, to give them things and to make them happy. Like, this is something you want them to enjoy stuff. You want them to enjoy life. God wants that for us too. So he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, that word enjoy is kind of the sticking point in this passage right here. And if you can go and you can study, and there's all kinds of people, and they've got all these different opinions, and the blah, blah, blah. So I, I just thought, okay, let me do this. Let me go in and do a little extra research here on the Greek word behind enjoy. I don't try to do this a lot in service because I know, like, y'all speak English, uh, most of us, or some form of it, um, rather than Greek. And so, but let's just make sure that the original text says what we think it says. Um, so I, look, I did look it up. The Greek word there for enjoy actually means enjoy. That's your big scholarly moment for the morning. That's exactly what it means. Right? There's only one other place in scripture that this word is actually used in the Greek, and that's in Hebrews 11:25, uh, where Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever you think that might be, um, says that uh, we should not enjoy material things too much as, because it's sin. Right? And in that context, it's pretty obvious he's talking about enjoyment. Here, he's talking about the same thing. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about enjoying what God provides. Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, wrote this, Ecclesiastes 2.24, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Next chapter, he says it again. Verse, or chapter 3, verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. God wants us to enjoy what he gives. He wants us to enjoy it for ourselves. He wants us to enjoy it by, with our kids, with our spouse, with our friends. He, this is one of the reasons that we can enjoy our work. Because what we get for our work is 
money to enjoy, right? Um, and most of all, he wants us to enjoy it as a way to enjoy him. Because every time I enjoy what God has given me, it should be reminding me of the great God that I love and serve and his generosity in my life. It should be a reflection of who he is. In Colossians chapter 2, go ahead and flip over there. This is, I want you to actually see this. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul here, he actually warns us against denying ourselves enjoyment. All right? Check this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. We're going to learn what that word means in just a second, so bear with me. And worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste. Do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul here is addressing a mindset, a teaching during his day called asceticism. It's still somewhat prevalent in certain religious um, sects today in our culture. And here's the definition for asceticism, just in case you're wondering. Um, it is a strict self-denial of worldly pleasures in hopes of becoming closer to God. Okay? Strict self-denial. So I do not allow myself to enjoy certain things, worldly pleasures, whatever that falls in that category for you, in hopes that by denying myself this and suffering and doing without, that's going to somehow make me more holy and draw me closer to God. The argument in Paul's day was that if you, if you enjoy food or drink or parties or worldly things too much, then you don't love God, that you don't belong to him. Right? To truly love and follow God, you must abstain, you must suffer, you must be miserable like all of us you know, super religious people, and uh, then you'll be cool like us. That was pretty much their argument. But Paul says, no. He says, don't submit to their fake religious rules and self-made religion because it doesn't do anything. Because that will never change the heart. Which is the real issue. He says it appears wise, it appears to have some form of wisdom, but it's actually a false gospel. Because it misrepresents the character of a God who is generous and loves his children and wants us to enjoy what he is giving us. And Paul says, don't buy into it. He says, God wants you to enjoy it as a deeper way of enjoying him and your relationship with him. I think in this area, we often have to be careful and prayerful about our decisions and about our heart because it's easy to go too far in either direction, right? It's easy to go too far and to start to enjoy stuff more than we enjoy God, right? 
It's also easy to go too far the other direction and try to deny ourselves so much that we become, we start to think that we are holier and more spiritual than other people around us. And we start judging them and how they spend and how they enjoy what God has given them because we feel like um, they wouldn't do that if they were, you know, really close to Jesus like us. And we have to be careful with this thing. I remember um, when uh, Courtney and I first went into full-time ministry, we moved to Indiana and I was on staff at a church there. And when we first moved there, we still had our house here in St. Louis that we hadn't sold yet. So we had to live in like this little rental house for a while. So we were living in the rental house until our house sold, it finally sold. And we were kind of driving around looking at other houses in the town that we were you know, wanting to buy or thinking about buying. And we saw this one house that was right on the corner in this subdivision. It was just this beautiful house that sat right on the corner. And, and uh, we loved it, but it was like, we're like, man, that's probably way beyond uh, what we can afford right now. And, and that's probably not going to happen. And so we kind of kept looking for houses. Well, when it finally came time to actually purchase something and move on something, um, we talked to our real estate agent, and that house actually had just come on the market as a foreclosure. And um, through a lot of crazy events and through a lot of prayer, uh, God actually gave us that house at a very, very low cost, and we were actually able to just barely afford it uh, in our budget. And so we buy this house, and we get this house, and we love it, and it's going great. We're in it a couple years, and, um, and a couple years later, so there was, this, um, there was this couple in the church that we were attending uh, that were, uh, had been called to go out and be missionaries. And so they were going to have to go around to other churches and kind of try to raise support so they could go out on the mission field and so forth. And so I was on staff at the church, and I did a lot of our graphics. And so uh, I volunteered to help them design their, um, their, you know, their handouts and all their materials um, for their recruiting and for their, for their um, money raising um, for free. I was like, you know, I'll help you with this. We'll get it all together and so forth. And so so we schedule a time, and a couple of weeks later, she uh, comes over to the house to meet with me to go over the materials and try to figure out how it's going to look and stuff. So she comes to the house, and she rings the doorbell, and Courtney uh, answers the door, and um, she, <laughs> Courtney answers the door, and the first thing she says is she says, oh, I see your doormat here. It says, live simply. Um, this house doesn't look very simple to me. <laughs> and in that moment... Uh, Courtney felt like she had to explain and defend. And like, well, you know, we got, we got a really good deal on it, and God gave blah, 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 blah. And she goes into this whole spiral story because she almost felt guilty about it when there was no guilt in it. Right? We were living within our means. We were blessed by what God had given. We were enjoying it, and we were using it right then to help her Just saying. Um, but unfortunately, too often, that is the mindset of some Christians. Right? That if you have something, that if you enjoy something, that if, if you're not miserable and, and starving to death, then you're not really living for Jesus. Okay? And uh, that's just not what we see in God's word. And um, the problem with this is that God loves to bless his children. And he wants us to enjoy his gifts. Not too much, okay? Not too much, but not too little. And uh, he says there in Timothy, we read earlier, be content. Right? Be content with what he gives, but still enjoy it. And don't feel like you have to apologize for it. It's a great testimony to our God that he is a good and generous God. We need to guard our hearts because it's easy for us to get on the other side and to start judging others. Well, I wouldn't spend money like that. Well, I can't believe you would waste it on that. I can't believe that you're going excessive in buying that vehicle or that house or those clothes. 
So let's be careful that, that we're not standing in judgment over someone else and how they're enjoying what God has given them. God knows their hearts. That's all that matters. So ask yourself this question as you're dealing with, am I enjoying things too little? Where in my life have I felt superior for denying myself? Where in my life have I felt superior or proud or haughty over someone else because, well, I wouldn't spend money like that, and we don't go there, and we don't do that, and be careful with that heart. When have I thought less of others because of what they had or how they spent their money? When did I consider myself a better Christian than someone else because they were enjoying their money too much? It's a fine line. God wants us to enjoy what he gives, not too much, not too little. Third point, enjoy God's money vertically. We need to enjoy it, but not just enjoy it anyway. Enjoy it in a way that points us back to him. Again, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 6 again. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. All right, so for all you math people, you get two equations in one service. All right, so here's your second one today. Um, Holiness, no, I'm sorry, godliness plus contentment equals great gain. It's a both and. You've got to have both components. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. In other words, putting God first, godliness, plus enjoying what is, not what is not, not running for more than what God has given, but being content with what he's given me, equals great gain. When you put God first and you enjoy what he's given you when he's given it to you, you will experience the joy of the Lord flooding your heart. So many times people are running after joy and happiness by other things, right? By uh, the new car or the new house or the new job or the vacation or if I can just get to the beach again, please, right? Like none of that stuff's bad. But if you're dependent on that stuff, for the joy that fills your heart, it will always eventually come up short. The greater gain is in the enjoyment of the Lord. So Paul tells us here how to do that. Keep reading. Uh, Go down to verse 18. We're going to do 18 and 19, and that's our last ones for today. It says, the rich that we talked about earlier, the rich who are supposed to, uh, you know, uh, put their hope in God. He says, they are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for their treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. How do we do this? How do we enjoy his gifts? How do we enjoy him and enjoy life with him? Paul tells us right here, first of all, do good. Do good works. As you're enjoying what God has given you, make sure you're using it in a way that honors him and celebrates him and puts him first in your life and in the life of others. Number two, he says, be generous. We've all heard the saying, right? It's better to give than to receive. And if you've, if you've done that, you know that's true. You know the joy that fills your heart as a believer when you give to someone else what the Lord has given to you. Do good, be generous. Number three, store up heavenly treasure. Right? 
So now we go from enjoyment in this life to even greater enjoyment in the next life because as we enjoy it properly and we do good and we give and we look at it vertically, we're actually storing up for ourselves even more treasure in heaven that's awaiting us that we will get to have forever and will be even more enjoyable than anything you experienced here in this life. He says when you do this, you can take hold of that which is truly life. When I align myself up with the way God wants me to enjoy his money, it lines me up with him. And when you're walking in step with the Lord day in and day out, that, friends, is true life. That is the ultimate enjoyment when I'm living in perfect communion with the Lord. Some of you have heard Courtney and I's uh, story before. Our, you know, our, our little uh, meet cute story would not be the um, subject of many uh, romantic comedies out there uh, today. It's not one of those, like, I saw her across the room and everything floated into things. You know, like, it's not, not one of those. Um, we actually met for the first time in college. Uh, we were in a choir class together. Um, she thought I was, you know, this um, arrogant, stuck-up uh, guy, um, which I was. Um, and, um, and I thought that she was just another girl who couldn't seem to make it to class on time. And she was. And so um, that's, just, that's just what it was. Right? You know, it's just life, right? And so, um, but over time, you know, I got to know her and she got to know me. And it turns out that she was a, a pretty great singer. And I was blessed by that um, as we would sing together in choir and stuff. And then the next year, we came back to school and we started kind of hanging out in some mutual friend circles, started doing things together and found out that she actually has a really good sense of humor and she's really fun to be around. And so that was uh, really cool and enjoyable as well. And then we started leading worship together and I got to enjoy her um, musical abilities, both singing and playing even more. And God started using that to really be a blessing uh, in my life. And um, I saw through ministry that she had a huge, huge heart for the Lord and for people. And, uh, man, that was a really, really cool thing as well. And so I kind of started thinking, like, man, maybe there's, maybe there's something here. Like, maybe this is going somewhere. Maybe there's, this needs to be uh, more than just what it is. And, um, and then, uh, men, you understand what I'm saying here. Then I found out um, that the girl can straight up cook. And I'm like, deal sealer right there. Like, it's like she kills it in the kitchen. Now we're on track, right? So, um, so pretty soon that led to you know, dating and engagement and then marriage. And um, I have been abundantly blessed by her gifts and by her uh, ever since. Um, Now, was it wrong for me to enjoy her gifts and the blessing of her friendship prior to us getting married or being in a relationship? No, that's what she wanted. Right? She was sharing these things with other people, myself included, because she wanted other people to be blessed by her gifts, to enjoy what she had to offer. Now, if I would have used her for those things just for my own gain, that would be a whole other story, okay? But the enjoyment of the gifts, the enjoyment of the relationship, the blessings that came as I got closer to her only drew me even more deeper into the relationship. That's what makes our marriage still work today is that we are able to enjoy one another's gifts and talents and blessings and grow together in deeper love because of it. The same is true with our relationship with God. That as he blesses us, as he gives us gifts, they are meant to draw us 
deeper into relationship with him where we enjoy him even more today than we ever have before because we are to experience the goodness of all that he gives. And the enjoyment's leading me to him, not away from him. It's a good thing, not a distraction. The key is enjoying the gifts in the context of our relationship with him rather than in spite of our relationship with him. So here's your final question for today. Is my enjoyment leading me to love and worship God more or less? If you really want to know if you're enjoying God's money too much or too little, here's the question to ask yourself. Is my enjoyment, whatever it is, is it leading me towards God? Is it leading me to love him more, to cultivate a a heart of love and gratitude and humility? Is it drawing me deeper into relationship with him? Or is it cultivating a heart of desire and greed and entitlement? Is my enjoyment distracting me from God? If that's true, then we need to correct some things. We need to get our heart back in the relationship, not just in the consumer mentality with what God gives. I can enjoy God's money as a means of enjoying God rather than missing God. It is possible. I know it doesn't always look that way or feel that way, and sometimes in our culture, like things get you know, sideways or crazy or whatever, but listen, it is possible. You can find enjoyment in what God gives. He wants you to find it. But he wants you to find it in context of a relationship with him where you're drawing closer to him and stronger in your relationship to him. Now, we've spent the last six weeks or more digging into God's word to learn about his view of money, right? And to get this vertical view that aligns our hearts with him and aligns our money with him and, and his money. And, and, but all of that, everything we've done for the last six weeks, all of that is for naught if we don't actually take it and walk it out in our lives. If we don't apply it, if we don't allow it to make some changes in us and how we see things and how we think about things and how we feel about things. So here's what I want us to do today to kind of end both the sermon and the series. I want to give us just a moment here. We've got time still. I I ended the sermon early just so we could do this. I want to take some time. We don't need to rush out. Just take personal time, just you and the Lord, and seek him in prayer right now. And just be like, Lord, what would you have me to do as a result of what I've heard, what I've learned? Okay? Some of you may already have your finger on something because of your small group discussions. And by the way, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group already, all right? Like, like this is where the magic happens, okay? So, but maybe you already have your finger on something because God's already spoken to you in one of the past weeks. Maybe it's something you've heard today. Maybe it's something you haven't heard yet, but you need to pray and he's gonna tell you right now. Like God of the universe is gonna come down and meet with you right now and put a finger on something in your life where you can learn and you can grow and you can be a better steward of his money, Okay? But I want us to be serious about this today. So here's what we're gonna do. When we go into this time of personal prayer, I want us to get low before the Lord. So if you're physically able, 
I would encourage you to turn and to kneel at your chair right where you're at. Get on your knees, get low before the Lord. If you're not physically able, just bow down, get as right there in your chair, get as low as you can. God knows, God knows, okay? But let's just show him with our actions and our words that we are humbling ourselves before him and we are letting him take full control of all of it. That it's no longer our money, it's 100% his money. And we're here to do business with him today and we're not gonna leave the same that we came in. We're gonna drive a stake in the ground today, February 24th, 2019 is the day that our money became 100% God's money. And he can do whatever he wants to with it in our lives, okay? So right now, go ahead, seek the Lord in prayer, kneel there at your chair, I'll pray in a few minutes over all of us and then we'll sing a song together to close out the morning. Heavenly Father, we are humbled in your presence today. Lord, we commit our whole lives to you. We commit all that we have to you because it's yours. It's all yours. We commit all that we are to you because we are yours. We commit our futures to you because you hold them in your hands. Father, today we pray repentance, where we need to turn from sinful neglect and wasteful foolishness, Lord, in any way that we are squandering or poorly using your money, Lord, show us that we might turn in repentance to you. And we pray for diligence for those who need to get out of debt, Lord, that they would run to you and they would find contentment in you, and that they would be able to find a clear path forward. We pray for those Pray for perseverance and joy for those who are stepping out in new levels of generosity and who you've led to, to give or to be um, more generous with their finances through this series, Lord. We pray for deeper faith for those who are trusting in your word and putting you to the test as you've commanded us to give and that you will provide. We pray for strength for those who are turning their hearts from the provision to the provider. Thank you, Father. That you are able to meet all our needs, that you are able to make all grace abound to us. We believe this and we commit ourselves into your hands because of it. Help us to be diligent in applying your word to our lives so that we can use your money for your glory. It's all yours. We commit it to you today. In Christ's name we pray.